Welcome to the Locked On Grizzlies podcast. My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a fantastic start to your Friday. It is Friday, August 27th. Hard to believe we are almost into the month of September. And of course, when we get into the month of September, that means that we're only one calendar month away from when the 2021-2022 season starts. But of course, when it comes to the Grizzlies, still some decisions to be made when it comes to the roster. Obviously, the trade finalized this week that sent Patrick Beverly to the Timberwolves that brought back Jarrett Culver and Juancho Hernan Gomez. That's now made official. But obviously, there's been some other fun discussion going on when it comes to the Grizzlies, and that's what we're going to focus on today. In today's episode, in the first segment, I'm going to talk about Ben Simmons. I know that it's been a fun topic of conversation. There still obviously is the likelihood that he's going to be traded sometime in the near future, though it may not be before the season. Going to talk about the idea of him coming to the Grizzlies. Does it make sense? Is it right to be skeptical? All that different stuff in the first segment of the show. In the second segment, a couple of different places have talked about the best young cores in the NBA. Where exactly do the Grizzlies rank? So I'll give my thought it's when it comes to this Grizzlies young core compared to the rest of the league. And in the third segment, going into this season, though we'll get a bit deeper as we get closer to the season, one thing that clearly is emerging is that with changes going on in the starting lineup more than likely, the Grizzlies bench is going to need to continue to be one of the best in the league. And this year, it truly can be the benchmark for the league. Going to talk about that a bit in the third segment. Of course, my name is Sean Coleman. I'm a credentialed media member with the Grizzlies. have been covering the Grizzlies for over three years over at Grizzly Bear Blues. Your host here at Locked on Grizzlies. You can find the show as well as myself, all the content that both the show and I provide at StatsSAC on Twitter. You can also find the podcast wherever it's available. Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you choose to listen to podcasts, that's where we will be. also want to remind you when it comes to News around the NBA and content when it comes to the NBA as a whole. Fridays on Locked On NBA, you'll get host Nick Angstad of Locked On Mavericks as well as Adam Mears of Locked On uh, Mayors of Locked On Nuggets. They will power rank the week that was in the NBA. Follow the Locked On NBA podcast today wherever you get your podcast. So let's jump right into it. Ben Simmons. Someone that I've talked about, many that cover the Grizzlies have talked about as well. A really fun topic to discuss because there's a lot to like when it comes to Ben Simmons. An amazing blend of size and skill that obviously, in my opinion, is one of the top defenders in the NBA. At his age, especially when you consider that he missed his rookie year, at his age, with the production that he has already shown, any team would love to have him, obviously. And yes, there is a price commitment of 33 to 35 $36 million per year over the next four years. But when you've got the ability of a player as young as Ben Simmons still is to offer the defensive upside that he does, as well as obvious offensive value as well, there's clearly value remaining in that contract despite the amount that he's owed. You typically don't see this young of a player who has had this productive of a career available in a trade. But the thing about it is this, is there's a reason why He's available in the trade. And of course, that reason is is due to the offensive inefficiencies. Yes, Ben Simmons can add value finishing at the rim as well as setting other players up. But he himself as a threat from distance shooting the basketball, there's obviously not been a lot of tangible value there so far. And it's hard to believe that there's going to be significant value there unless his situation were to change, whether it be environment, whatever it may be. It's obvious that while there is plenty to like, there still is clear and relevant risk if someone were to invest in a trade for Ben Simmons. Well, when it comes to the Grizzlies going after Ben Simmons, 
Obviously, the price needs to be considered. Yes, four years, 33 to 36 million per year, basically, over the next four years. If the Grizzlies were to make a move for Ben Simmons, they basically would be bringing him in the fold, would obviously be making the extension with Jaron Jackson Jr. at some point over the next 12 months, and then likely giving, you know, the, the rookie scale max or, or the second contract max after a player's rookie contract to John Morant. At the end of the day, when it comes to the 2023-2024 season two years from now, you've got multiple years in which the Grizzlies are basically going to have three players take up the overwhelming majority of their cap space. They're going to have to rely on making sure they draft well. Their resources of being able to add what's going to be needed to add to that core it's going to be limited because you're not a free agent destination like the L.A. markets are, things like that. You're going to have to rely on your ability to draft to really find what's needed to support a potential young core of Ben Simmons, Jaron Jackson Jr., and John Morant. Beyond the price that's owed to him, it's not just like the Grizzlies are going to sign him as a free agent. Beyond the future price that's owed to him and the fact that he'll take up a lot of the flexibility that you have to add to the roster to go along with John Jaron is the fact that you're also going to give up quite a bit for him. Over at Liberty Ballers, which is SB Nation's um, Philadelphia 76ers site like Grizzly Bear Blues is for the um, Memphis Grizzlies, over at Liberty Ballers, they speculated today in a great article talking about what offer would they take as a minimum for Ben Simmons. Now, obviously, the thing about it is this, is that in any trade package, we could sit here and speculate all day what we might consider the right price for Ben Simmons, but it also has to be the right price for the 76ers, who obviously want to move Ben Simmons, probably with the idea of going to get Damian Lillard. And after the deal that just went down a few moments ago, you can see Portland still obviously in the mode of trying to keep Damian Lillard in the fold. So it doesn't seem like that situation is going to be resolved anytime soon. But if the 76ers were to move off Ben Simmons with the idea of getting a package back for him instead of trying to land another star player in place of him, one idea that they threw out there was from the San Antonio Spurs, and the idea was DeJounte Murray, Keldon Johnson, and three future first-round picks. Now, the big emphasis on that is, is that the 76ers, though they're trading Simmons away, they're getting back a significantly talented point guard, and that likely is the goal for the 76ers. They are going to want some type of point guard presence back in any deal in which they trade Simmons. And that's the first thing that stands out about a potential Grizzlies offer. They don't have that significantly talented point guard that they would be able to trade. They're not going to trade John Moran, obviously, and Tyus Jones doesn't fit that bill. So the basic value, the, the prize of any Grizzlies package, is probably going to be two of Kyle Anderson, Dylan Brooks, Desmond Bain, and DeAnthony Melton. Two of those four players are likely going to have to go in the deal back to Philly, along with Tyus Jones and multiple first-round picks, and then you figure out the money-matching aspect of it, you know, later. That is a lot to give up, obviously. You likely work it out to where you can convince yourself to do it if the Grizzlies could truly get Simmons at, at the right price, but now you're considering the fact that in trading for Simmons, you're giving up the supporting cast you need to really make a trio of Jaw Simmons and Jaron Jackson Jr. work. 
and you're also now giving up your uh, you're, you're giving up also trade assets to try to support them. Basically, with the Grizzlies, if they're going to move to get Ben Simmons, they're going to have to trade a big chunk of their supporting cast and also their tradable assets for the future to number one acquire Simmons. But then also with what they're going to owe Simmons, the Grizzlies are just going to be very limited in what they need to support the trio of Simmons, Jaw, and Jaron Jackson Jr. And that is the third big thing that comes into play when you consider making a move for Simmons. Is that with the price you're going to have to give up with players and the price that you're going to have to pay long term that's going to really make your cap flexibility small in, in, for the future, the fit of the Ben Simmons with John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. tells me two things. If the Grizzlies were to move for Ben Simmons, they, number one, feel very confident Jaw becomes a difference-making shooter in time. I'm not saying that there's that, that, that there's not a good chance that happens. I certainly think Jaw shooting will significantly improve, but the Grizzlies truly feel Jaw shooting becomes a different-making strength of his game in my opinion, if they move for Ben Simmons. They also are highly, highly investing in the long-term health of Jaron Jackson Jr. I don't think Jaron's injury-prone as of right now, but do I think that it's something that's going to be watched throughout his career? I think that that's logical to say. So you're putting a, you're betting on, if you were to make a move for Ben Simmons right now, Jaw and Jaron not only clearly improving in their, in, in their areas of weakness, but also fully staying healthy. And either way, the Grizzlies were going to likely bet on that long-term anyway. But if you make the move for Ben Simmons now, you're putting all your eggs in the basket that Jaw significantly improves as a shooter and Jaron becomes a consistent two-way player while staying healthy. So there are relevant reasons to why making a move for Ben Simmons right now has plenty of high risk. The price that you'll have to pay long-term in terms of money, the price that you'll have to pay now in terms of prospects, the limitations that you'll have of being able to support Jaw, Jaron, and Ben to become a true title contender over the time you have all three of those players because you're going to have to make it work. You're going to have to find shooting to fit around Jaw and Ben especially. And also the fact that with the Grizzlies, this is basically them making their play right now without knowing what they could know if they were to wait a year. And that's what it comes down to for me personally. I get, at the end of the day, if the Grizzlies were to make a move for Ben Simmons, how young he is, how immensely talented he is, you talk yourself into being just fine with the move. You make, you at the end of the day, I, and I'm sure anybody who covers or is a fan of the Grizzlies, you would be able to easily convince yourself or, or become fine with the trade for Ben Simmons because of how young and talented he is and the faith that we have in our coaching staff to figure it out. But I do think that it is too risky of a move right now to go all in on a Ben Simmons type move when the Grizzlies have already on the docket, they already have the option on the table to wait a year, gain a lot of certainty about their young pieces that they have right now, and then next summer, not only will their cap sheets be a bit more friendly to make a move, a one big move easier, but you've also got Obvious trade assets with three first-rounders. You'll have more cap space with free agents potentially moving on. And you'll also have a better idea as to what young players you'll want to keep around versus what young players you'll want to keep as trade assets. So at the end of the day, when it comes to the overall mixture of talent, youth, and upside with Ben Simmons, he probably does make sense. At the end of the day, he likely would be worth the price in terms of future cost as well as the price in terms of present package you'd have to trade for him. He probably is worth it in a vacuum. But when you look at the fact that the Grizzlies already are have a lot better set up next summer to make this type of move than right now, 
is Ben Simmons the right move at the right time enough to basically pass on from having the setup the Grizzlies have next summer? I don't know if he is. And so at the end of the day, in my opinion, I'd be perfectly fine if the Grizzlies were to make a move for Ben Simmons. But I do think the wiser move, and I do strongly feel that the better move long-term is for the Grizzlies to basically take this season once again, gather a good idea, is Jaren the true number two to jaw in terms of the current roster? Which players really support them long-term? Which players may be better as trade assets? Get those questions answered, and then when things are a little bit more clear, when things are a little bit more easier to make happen, I do it next summer instead of going all in on Ben Simmons right now. But of course, one of the big reasons why I feel that it probably makes sense to wait till next summer to make a Ben Simmons-type move is because the Grizzlies' young core is so intriguing, yet still certainty needs to be gained on it from the organization. But in terms of the intrigue of this young core, in terms of the overall talent the young core has in place here in Memphis, where does it rank next to the rest of the NBA? We'll look at that in just a second. The college football season does technically start tomorrow, Saturday, um, August 28th. It really gets going Thursday of this week and then obviously next Saturday. But the key is, is that we're less than 10 days away from the collegiate football season starting. And then the week after that on September 12th, or excuse me, the, the Thursday before on September 9th, and then on September 12th, we've got pro football starting. It's that time of year again, and all eyes are on football as teams are back on the gridiron to start the football season. And when it comes to your waging and betting, BetOnline is number one. Get all the updated odds, props, and contests, including online's biggest half-million-dollar NFL Mega Contest and the world's largest $200,000 NFL Survivor Contest open now. Head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today to receive your 100% welcome bonus. Be sure to take advantage of their opening day super promo. Make a bet on the Thursday, September 9th season opener between the Super Bowl champion Buccaneers and the Dallas Cowboys. And if you lose, your wager will be refunded up to $25 for new customers only when signing up and using promo code NFL100. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games, don't wait and take advantage of your all-time great offers available for the 2021 season. BetOnline, your online sportsbooks experts. Don't forget you get to use the promo code Locked On when visiting BetOnline.ag. So now being past the NBA draft as well as being past um, the, uh, the the main part of the NBA offseason, though, as we just saw, um, I'm recording this now around noon on Friday, and we just saw the deal between the Trailblazers, the Cavaliers, and the Bulls go down. Still could see plenty of relevant, at least, trades going on. The level of activity overall has slowed down. We're in the slow part of the NBA season for the next six weeks, obviously, until we get into training camp and then obviously revving up for the 2021-2022 season. But the fun thing about it is this, is that this is now the time to where content can get a little bit creative. And one of the best ways that people love to do it is by ranking lists. Making lists of past debates, present debates, future debates, past, present, and future areas of content. So many different subjects that you could rank. And one of the great, one of the better or best options to rank, in my opinion, is the current young cores in the NBA. And we've seen it over the past few years. The Grizzlies certainly have been more and more involved in that discussion. Well, Zach Buckley over at Bleacher Report recently released his list of the top 10 young cores in the NBA. And the Grizzlies actually finished fourth on that list, the top five on that list, were the Hawks, the Celtics, the Pelicans, the Grizzlies, then 
the Suns. And also on that in the mix there uh, were the... Uh, were the Nuggets as well as the Hornets. Several of the best young cores in the league were on that list when Zach Buckley released it over at Bleacher Report. And the thing about it is this, is that I actually think that that's a very favorable spot for the Grizzlies in terms of where they are in the NBA. Personally, my top five when it comes to young cores in the NBA are the Hawks, the Celtics, the Suns, the Mavericks, and then the Grizzlies. Right after the Grizzlies, I would probably put um, the, the Pelicans, as well as the Hornets, and you could throw other teams in the mix. The criteria I'm going by is basically at the age, uh, you know, in basically the core members of a team that are in their mid-20s or younger. And the reason why I go the order that I do when it comes to the Hawks, the Celtics, the Suns, the Mavericks, and the Grizzlies is I'm looking at teams that have established, you know, superstars or on the edge of being superstars with a great supporting cast behind them, obviously. When it comes to the Hawks, you have Trey Young. Now, I will be willing to debate all day long. John Morant is a better long-term, you know, play, is a better long-term bet for playoff success than Trey Young in terms of what it takes to win in the playoffs, but you know, you wouldn't be wrong either way in that equation. But my point is, is that Trey Trey Young is a bit more established than Jaw right now. But it's hard to deny after last season how absolutely effective and deep the Hawks young core is with DeAndre Hunter, John Collins, so on and so forth to support Trey Young. That is a organization that is set up to win for a long time, especially what they did last year. So you certainly have to like their future with drafting Jalen Johnson and Sharif Cooper as well this past draft. Second is the Celtics. Now, I know that the Celtics may seem like that they have not met expectations over the past few years, and I can agree with that. But at the end of the day, there's not a better young duo in the NBA, mid-20s and younger, than Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. And that's a great way to start. And now with new leadership in place that have made some sensible moves, I do think that that duo still is something that 25 to 26 teams in the league would easily trade their current situation for to have the long-term combo of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Third, obviously the Suns. I know Chris Paul played a big role in them getting to the finals this year, but when you've got Devin Booker, when you've got um, DeAndre Hunter, Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, Jalen Smith, and others to, to as that young core, you've already got your star for long-term in Booker. You may have an emerging star in DeAndre Ayton, now you've got a supporting cast that's very effective, especially in playoff situations and players like Bridges and Johnson. There's a lot to like there on that on that Suns team. This is where you possibly could start having different opinions that are, are not wrong. You can make a case, I feel, after the Hawks, Celtics, and Suns uh, for four or five teams that could be anywhere from four to eight on this list. But the reason I put the Mavericks at four is because of the fact that at the end of the day, of all these cores, the Mavericks have the best player, and his name is Luka Doncic. I feel it's not a stretch to say at all that three to five years from now, the two best players in the league are going to be Giannis and Luka Doncic. And so that certainly is relevant. That is a great starting place. However, the Mavericks certainly have not either done a good job of having the leadership long-term in place with all the front office uh, turnover they've had this offseason, nor have they done a good job building around him with, you know, one or two other young pieces that make good sense with Luka long-term. But at the end of the day, if you've got Luka Doncic, and as we see, it certainly has allowed for them to at least be on the cusp 
of having some playoff success over the past two years. If you've got Luka Doncic, that's a great place to start. So the Mavericks come in fourth on this list. And then fifth is the Grizzlies. Now, the reason why I have the Grizzlies fifth is because of this. Ja himself is not yet on the level in terms of expectations, consistency, trustworthiness, whatever it may be. We just have not seen Ja yet on the level of a Trey, a Tatum, a Brown, a Booker, or a Luka. I think he can get into that realm. I don't think he's going to be as good as like Tatum or, or, or Luka long term. Don't get me wrong there. But I do think in terms of being a perennial all-star, all-NBA type level talent, with a few campaigns that certainly will earn MVP consideration, I think that's Jaws Peak. And I think that he can get there starting next year. And if he does, you combine the fact that not many of the teams I've mentioned above have the, have a talent with the potential of Jaron Jackson Jr., plus the supporting cast like a DeAnthony Melton, a Desmond Bain. How deep the Grizzlies' young core goes, along with the potential of their top two players in John and Jaron, who both have just turned 22, that's why they're at number five. And that's why, in my opinion, they're above teams such as New Orleans with Zion and Brandon Ingram, who, yeah, they may have great offensive upside, but you don't see a lot of defensive upside there, plus questions about Zion's health, as well as the Hornets, who are very deep in terms of potential, but will Lamelo take that next step like John Trey did in their sophomore seasons? We'll see. But I do think that the Grizzlies are number five on this list. A lot of it has to do with how deep they go in terms of young, serviceable, high upside players, but also overall how much potential is there between the, the, the duo of Jaw and Jaron to lead the Grizzlies to sustainable playoff success, hopefully, in the near future. This isn't meant to be, meant to be an insult. And I will say this. If the Grizzlies, now with having traded away Jaron or Jonas Valanciunas, traded away um, uh, Grayson Allen, if Jaw steps into that all-star conversation next year, if Jaron steps into that most improved player conversation due to, stay, due to being healthy and being consistent on both ends of the court, if those two things happen along with further development from the other young players on the roster, then you start to see the Grizzlies really start to make a push for that third spot. At the very least, if the Grizzlies make the playoffs this year due to their young talent continuing to develop, now you truly have arguably one of the top three, if not the most intriguing young core in the NBA. So the Grizzlies certainly have that potential. I think they're still a Hawks last year type season away from being there. But if you're looking at teams that over the next one to two years could have that type of run that the Hawks had last year, the Grizzlies are certainly at the top of that list. So I certainly think that it is fair and logical to put the Grizzlies as one of the top five most intriguing young cores in the NBA. But for the same reason why the young core of the Grizzlies is intriguing a lot, it has a lot to do with the young depth they have, that's a big reason why there's a lot to like about the Grizzlies bench this year, once again being among the best in the NBA. Coming up, I'm going to talk about just exactly how the Grizzlies bench could be among the best and the most versatile in the NBA, but also why it's going to be so critical to the Grizzlies' overall success this season. Like a young core in the NBA, having a new low mileage car is always exciting. But just like that young core, you're going to have to take, you're going to have to make upgrades over time to keep the team performing well. And that's exactly what you're going to have to do to your car as it ages. And if you need parts, the best place that I can tell you to go is rockauto.com. Number one, it's easy to use within a few clicks of the button. 
you're finally going to find what you you're likely going to find what you need and you're going to be able to find it regardless to make a model and the part that you need its will regardless of your experience level when it comes to car repairs rockauto.com is very economically feasible this is a family-owned business they've been in business for more than 20 years they know that car parts can be expensive so they try to make things as cost-friendly as possible whenever you visit the whenever you visit the rockauto.com website let them know the locked on podcast network sent you amazing rates amazing selection reliably low prices all the car parts you will ever need visit rockauto.com today when it comes to the summer, I'm sure many of us want to continue to get in better shape. That may be biking, you know, several miles, or it may be running several miles, whatever it may be, but it also comes down to your daily diet. And what if I could tell you you could find a tasty snack that could offer health and energy benefits as well? Well, that's Built Bar. It's a great energy booth, great health benefit, great tasting option you can have in the morning as a snack or in the after, or in the morning as breakfast or afternoon as a snack. And if you go to Built.com right now, you can choose from over 18 different flavors, and none of them are bad. Yeah, some may be more towards your preferences than others, but if you feel a bit risky, if you feel a bit brave and want to try them all out, you're not going to regret it. They're all great tasting options. And if you go to Built.com right now, put in the promo code LOCKED15, you'll get 15% off your next order from Built.com. Again, make Built Bar a part of your day. Go to Built.com, put in the promo code LOCKED15 to get 15% off your next order on Built Bar. After the Grizzlies trade with the Minnesota Timberwolves in which Patrick Beverly was sent to the T-Wolves, and now Juancho Hernan Gomez, as well as Jarrett Culver, are a member of the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies roster is coming you know, more into focus, but there still obviously is some contracts that certainly need to be resolved so that the Grizzlies can get down to the 15 Garrett team contracts that they need going into next season. Now, they could take 20 into camp, so I mean, you know, they got time to figure it out. But as you mentioned, as you've heard me mention a few times on here before, some names to watch out for as far as future transactions go. Are Hernan Gomez maybe in a trade or being waived? Um, Daniel uh, uh, Turu, who the Grizzlies got from the Clippers in the Eric Bledsoe trade. Rajon Rondo also acquired in the same trade. Perhaps Sam Merrill. Those are just some names to watch out for. Another thing to watch out for, obviously, when it comes to the roster, is newly acquired um, Jarrett Culver's fourth-year option. Is that something the Grizzlies could pick up? We'll cover all that you know, in time. But the whole thing is, is that the Grizzlies roster is still coming into form, but we have a good idea of who... The 10 to 11 obvious rotation players are, and you know, that that looks like, you know, in my perspective, right now, the starters are Jod, Dylan, Kyle, Jaron, and Steven Adams, with the second unit being Tyus, Melton, Bain, Tillman, and Clark, and then, of course, you've got John Conchar and Zaire Williams as well to throw into the fold. Santi Aldama and others probably will be spending a big, a big part of their time in South Haven. But the thing that stands out to me is that Grayson Allen and Jonas Valanciunas obviously were, the, besides Ja, Dylan, and Kyle, the two most consistent starters for this Grizzlies team. And so you're not only taking away 40% of the starting roster from last year, yes, you're getting Jaron back, but you're also changing up the philosophy a bit of this starting lineup in which you hope they'll be able to be more, a bit more balanced in terms of shooting from distance paired with producing in the paint. But the thing about it is this, is that with Jaron coming back, the starting lineup last year really carried the Grizzlies at times, especially at the end of the year when the Grizzlies bench was struggling. But before April of last year, the Grizzlies bench, just like it had been before the suspension of the season in 2019 and 2020, the Grizzlies bench was once again among the top five in overall um, production in terms of scoring per game, three-point percentage, three-pointers per game, field goal percentage. This was one of the best units in the league. And so 
it, with Taylor Jenkins in place, for the majority of the time Taylor Jenkins has been coach of the Grizzlies, I would say probably 75 to 80% of the time, he has been able to utilize a top five bench in the league at his disposal. But this year, there's really a setup for the Grizzlies bench to basically become the benchmark of the entire league. Because there's not only is there so much depth to the bench, but there's so many different ways in which they can be effective. Obviously, we know one of the surprising ways last year that they were able to do it was because of their shooting, especially when it came to Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton. When Bain and Melton really started to emerge, when it really started to not only make sense that Bain was one of the best shooters this franchise has ever seen, and Melton was going to be consistent in his shooting improvements, between basically mid-April through the end of March into early, or through, basically from mid-February through early April, Desmond Bain and, and um, DeAnthony Melton, they were two of the best three-point shooting bench sources in the league. Like, they literally were among the top five in terms of combined three-point field goals and three-point field goal percentage of any player off a bench in the NBA. That's how good they were. So that combination of Bain and Melton really stands out as being a, a, as being a surge of scoring that can support the starting lineup if they're finding their shots on a consistent basis. Obviously, you also have Tyus Jones, who was a who was a very good, valuable shooter for much of the 2019-2020 season. If he regains his stroke from the 1920 season this year, now you've got three legitimate threats from the outside off your bench that you can utilize in many different ways. Improving in that area is Xavier Tillman. We saw that Brandon Clark has a bit of potential as well. So you've got several different options, and this is what Taylor Jenkins has wanted all along. He wants the ability to have different lineup combinations, whether it be all starters, all bench, blending the two, to where he has three or four different shooting options at any one time on the court, and the Grizzlies bench can certainly provide that, especially in their backcourt. But the other thing that really stands out is facilitation. Now, it starts with Tyus Jones. There's a reason why the Grizzlies were able to be among the best bench units before the suspension of the season in 1920 and before April came around last year. It's was, it was because Tyus Jones was playing some of his best basketball, an historically efficient playmaker, decision maker, and passer as a backup point guard. When the Grizzlies have Tyus Jones to utilize in that position, that really upgrades the games of his supporting bench members, like DeAnthony Melton, like Brandon Clark, and so on. So with Tyus Jones, you've got the facilitation center. You've got the, the centerpiece when it comes to the facilitation to keep the bench unit consistent. But along with that, You've now had the improved playmaking flashes of a Desmond Bain. We saw it last year at times with DeAnthony Melton. And of course, Xavier Tillman, who was known for his passing as a big man coming out of college. You've got three or four other sources that can reasonably facilitate on offense, that can set up plays on offense to support Tyus. Not only does that keep the ball consistently moving, not only does that keep offensive production consistent, but it opens up everyone to be shooters, including Tyus, who really can get his stroke going on catch-and-shoot opportunities. If the Grizzlies can expand the amount of shooters that they have on the court at any one time off their bench because their bench can consistently move the ball to find high-percentage looks from distance, that's a big advantage that a lot of other benches in the NBA don't have. And that's something the Grizzlies can utilize consistently, consistently, especially in half-court setups where the bench and starting unit are blending or when the game slows down a bit. So the ability to facilitate, move the ball, and find 
applying the high percentage looks from distance as a result really helps this Grizzlies core, or the young core, improve in their half-court offense, which is going to be a big step for this team that they need to take this season. And then, of course, the other thing that really stands out is the defense. The defense is something that also is a true advantage of this specific group of Bench players in Memphis, DeAnthony Melton, Xavier Tillman, to an extent Desmond Bain, Brandon Clark, and others. Last season, number one, the Grizzlies have ranked first and second in steals. Per, they have ranked first and second in terms of steals per game as a bench unit in the NBA in Taylor Jenkins' first two seasons. And last year, they were top five in blocks. This is one of the most opportunistic defensive bench units in the NBA, if not the best opportunistic defense in the NBA. And the reason why that is so critical is because as the bench becomes more involved with the game, and, and, and according to Cleaning the Glass, as the Grizzlies lineups included more and more bench units, the amount of frequency that transition plays occurred increased. And it makes sense because as NBA teams and NBA games go to second units, typically there's structure loss. You don't have as much structure. You don't have as much skill. The game gets a more up and down, you know, less about structure and fundamentals and more about getting out on the run and scoring. That's something that this Grizzlies team can do quite well. And when you add in the fact that they can t make that this Grizzlies bench is very good when they're on the floor as a unit at creating turnovers. You now get turnovers created at a high frequency. That feeds right into getting the ball out to Tyus Jones or others to lead the fast break, and that leads to easy buckets. That's what really stands out, as my opinion, as being the biggest advantage that this Grizzlies bench has. One big reason why the Grizzlies bench is so effective when it's been in the game for much of the past two years is because of how quickly they can create a shot advantage, how quickly they can create a sizable possession advantage, because not only do they score quickly, but they do it off limiting the other team from scoring because they're creating turnovers. So you've got the improvement in shooting, you've got the improvement in facilitation, and you've got the overall defensive upside that this, this bench ha has that not many other other benches in the NBA have, that is the setup, the shooting potential, the facilitation potential, and the defensive impact. Those three things combined is what makes this Grizzlies bench, in my opinion, one of the best units in the NBA and easily could make them the best bench unit in the NBA. And for a Grizzlies team that is going to be more focused on betting on the young talent it has on this roster, it's going to be imperative. If the Grizzlies are to make a playoff run runs again this year, I think a big reason why is because of how productive their bench is. And if we've seen it from the past two years, there's a lot to like and there's a lot of confidence to have that this Grizzlies bench could emerge as the best reserve unit in the NBA. And every bit of that is going to be needed for this Grizzlies team to take the next step with the roster they have in place. Thank you so much for joining us for this edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. Next Next week, we'll continue to focus on any news that may come down the pipe when it comes to the Grizzlies, also looking at the reasons why some players may make more sense to stay than others, and obviously we'll get into more of the offseason, looking at some different scenarios that the Grizzlies really need to focus on for next season when it comes to improvement. That and much more on next week's edition of the Locked on Grizzlies podcast. You can find the show as well as myself at StatsSAC on Twitter, and it's always a pleasure to be with you. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Locked on Grizzlies podcast.